listening to Open Up the Wall, Revelations of a Renovation Contractor. Now, this is what they call a, quote, inspirational memoir. It's about my career change from award-winning actor to the owner of my own construction company. It's definitely a memoir, and throughout the 14 episodes of this podcast, you're going to meet some wonderful characters on both sides of the tool belt. This podcast is an edited version of the 27-chapter book of the same title, and it's available in e-form or hard copy. You can find out more about the book and about me, the author, Jeff Bowes, on my website, www.openupthewall.com. Feel free to leave any questions or comments you may have. I'd love to hear from you. In Episode 9, I described some of the tricky situations that I had to cope with, dealing with millennials and baby boomers alike. I think it's important to mention that these were but a handful of clients in my long career as a renovation contractor. I haven't written about the hundred or so jobs where I was invited into the homes of kind, informed people where together we worked out a plan to upgrade their lives because it's too boring to write about compared to some of the more dramatic clients. So the nice stable folks didn't make it into the book or into this podcast Nonetheless, I'm grateful to them for sustaining me, and I regret that I couldn't sustain their stories for even a chapter because they were so uneventful. Just wanted you to know that. So here's episode 10, The Addition of Life. In June, Stan called. I have an addition for the summer. Yeah, what kind? Third story, close by, nice people. You want to do it with me? Building a brand new structure of this size and scope outdoors in the summer would be a really cool job. The added bonus of building a third floor is that there would be no clients around. But the addition of death flashed before my eyes. Access to a third floor addition is by ladder until the hole gets cut in the roof to put up the stairs. Everything goes up by ladder. Lumber, concrete block, attitude, and anxiety all get piled on the roof. You have to watch your step. I went around to look at the site before I said yes. Sure enough, there was the ladder. I can't move my legs, it said. Stan had secured the ladder perpendicular to the wall. I ascended with purpose feeling fear ooze into my joints and make me doubt my every move. It was a flat roof, no peaks or hips to slide off and fall to my death three stories below, except for one. Just one really steep pitch at the front of the house, running its entire width. Not scary enough to pass on such a great job, especially since I had learned about safety harnesses after working on the addition of death. I would simply get the best safety harness that money would buy. Now, when descending a ladder, it's important to look up. 
This keeps the body closer to the ladder. Never, ever look at your feet. If you look down on the descent, you force your body away from the ladder and you put more stress on your hands, which could slip. And with your body so far away from the ladder, you would not recover balance in time to save yourself from falling and smashing your head like a melon on the ground below. I looked up so intently that I could hear my belt buckle scraping the ladder all the way down. People who've had a height scare often get a tingling in their crotch when next they attempt a high climb, said the latter. So how's your weenie feeling today? Well, it's tingling, I said, but it's not enough to scare me off. Now get out of my head. I called Stan and I said, I'm in. Three of us started on the demolition on one of the hottest July days on record. Me, Stan, and Ian, a voice actor. On this job, he would come and go as his schedule permitted. Our first task was to build a big slide, 40 feet long and 4 feet wide. It reached from the roof down to the backyard lawn. This slide would convey the demolition debris down and the new lumber up. Next, we had to get rid of the existing tar and gravel flat roof so that we could put in thicker joists and turn the second floor ceiling into a floor. We cut the old roof out in chunks and pitched them onto our slide. Our saws begged for mercy as we forced their blades through the dense, tar-soaked membrane embedded with gravel. One after the other, we pitched the worn, tarred blades off the roof until the lawn below was littered with them, glittering in the sunlight like an aerial view of a convoy of ships. By five o'clock, the last piece of toxic goo got pitched down our slide and we were straddling the joists, looking down at the ceiling below. No rain was forecast, but after the addition of death, Stan was taking no chances. So we covered the house with layers and layers of tarp. We worked out a tie-down method that would not only protect our work, but also keep any rain from going into the other half of the semi-detached home. With huge tarps, we made the flat roof up like a bed, hospital corners and all. When we were satisfied that it was impermeable... We climbed down the ladder and I headed for my truck with a happy thought of me cozying up to a beer in the shower and washing the black tarry residue from my body. In the backyard, Ian washed himself down with a hose and then put on clean clothes. I assumed that he couldn't get to a shower before a dinner engagement or something like that. The next morning, Ian arrived in a linen shirt, slacks and sandals. Looks like you have an audition today, I said. No. Well, then, why are you dressed so well? No reason. I've got my work clothes in my backpack. Ian was ashamed to be seen as a common workman, so every night he washed up under the hose and changed his clothes for the subway ride home. In his heart, he was just passing through this filthy world that I was so proud to be a part of. Stan had things well planned out, and the existing roof structure gave us no surprises at all. Everything seemed to be falling into place on time and on budget. We were away from everybody, surrounded by sky, treetops. We could easily slip into the zone and work together for hours in zen-like industry before the heat drove us down the ladder for water and shade. Ian had taken to bringing sliced limes and stuffing them into the 15 bottles of water that the three of us were downing each day. On the afternoon that Stan and I finished gluing and screwing the subfloor down, our backs were killing us, so we lay on the new plywood, looking up at big cumulus clouds. The stink of tar was gone. 
replaced with the perfumey smell of cut plywood. A breeze passed over our sweat-soaked T-shirts, cooling us down. We lay listening to a cardinal singing from the trees below us. This was job satisfaction as I had never known it. After a while, Stan said, We should remember this moment. I don't know which woke me up first, the crash of thunder or the bedside phone ringing in my ear, but in a total panic, I leapt out of bed, ran downstairs, and answered the phone in the kitchen. What's going on? Yeah, hello? Get over here right away. In an instant, I was wide awake. Oh, fuck. Disaster. On my way. I ran back upstairs and felt around in the dark for my work clothes, which sit in the pile behind the laundry hamper until they get dirty enough to go in the laundry hamper. In less time than it takes to feed a cat, I was dressed and driving to the site with my windshield wipers on high. I went straight to the front door. All the lights were on, so I walked in. Stan's ashen face appeared in the hallway. The rains got into the other side of the semi. The last time this happened at the addition... Yeah, I remember, Stan. The rain ruined the hardwood. We went next door to the other side of the semi-detached home and met Marlene and Richard, the owners. They showed me their bathroom with quite a big wet spot on the ceiling and a bowl of water on the floor half full. I almost laughed out loud. That's it? I asked. Isn't that enough? Brayed Richard. The whole ceiling is soaked. Stan was taking deep breaths, so I said, Okay, we'll have a look outside, and we'll be right back. With the door shut behind us, I said, Stan, there's no disaster here. There's just a wet ceiling. That's damage we can fix in three days. We went up on the roof and went over the tarps with flashlights until we found a three-inch tear and a trickle of water heading towards the other side of the semi. We taped up the tear, and then we went home. But as long as I could hear the rain on my roof, I couldn't sleep. Neither could Stan. He was on the phone to his insurance company first thing the next morning, and then he spent half an hour assuring Marlene and Richard that an entirely new bathroom ceiling would be installed and painted at no cost to them. And then later they tried to scam a whole new bathroom out of him. Ian and I began pushing the lumber up our slide for the walls and roof of the new addition. Three-quarters of the roof space would be new rooms, while the remaining quarter would be a walkout deck. I'm going to the Indy 500 for three days next week, announced Stan. So I want to get everything framed in before I go. The walls went up easily. Now came the scary part. We had to climb on the top of the walls and walk along the five-and-a-half-inch wide top plate while we laid out the ceiling joists every 16 inches. We had to do this without falling three stories to the pavement below. It was really high and it was really windy. One good gust... It had the addition of death written all over it. But this time, I was prepared. I said dramatically, Just let me get into my safety harness. Stan jumped up. What? You got a rig? Let me see that thing. I pulled the rig out of its orange carry bag. Stan took the harness and stepped into it. I'll go first. Ian and I tightened all the straps and I clipped the safety rope to the steel ring on the back of the harness. I was reading the instruction paragraph securing the safety rope when I heard a shout from Stan. Oh yeah, no fear up here anymore. Good call buying this thing. He was walking along the edge of the narrow ridge beam on the scary pitch of the roof. 
I surprised myself with a near falsetto scream. Stan! Stop! Don't move! I am invincible! You're not attached! When he saw me standing with the other end of the safety rope in my hand, he froze, and then he dropped, painfully straddling the ridge beam, legs dangling in the air below. Tie me off! Tie me off! Oh, God, my nuts! I clipped the rope to the cast-iron toilet stack sticking out of the deck. Okay, you're good. Down he came, holding his groin but with a grin on his face. All he said was, This thing rocks. I never got to wear my harness on that job. Stan took it over and clambered all over the scary side of the house while I worked where I could only fall eight feet. By Friday, we had the addition framed, and we pushed 12 sheets of 4 by 8 plywood sheathing up our slide. On Monday, we would cover the frame. The design was for a flat roof, and at this stage it was open to the elements, looking more like a pergola. Light showers were forecast for Saturday, so we laid tarps across the ceiling joists and secured them from another wind tear. Great progress, and nobody fell to their death. The worst was over, and Stan left for the Indy 500. But the showers grew more intense, and by Saturday evening there was a big wind, so I went over to check the tarps. Luckily they were intact, but the rain was collecting in the spaces between the joists, causing the tarp to sag under the weight. I took a push broom and pushed it up under each space, forcing the water to flow from the sagging tarp and off the sides of the house. Then I went home. The rain didn't stop, so I came back at 10 o'clock that night, and I repeated the process, then I went to bed. But I woke to heavy rain on my roof at 2.30, so I went back to do the routine again. Ho-hum. I drove down the laneway at the back of the house, and I parked in my usual spot facing the ladder. Wearing my miner's light on my forehead, I began the climb up the ladder. Nearing the top, I felt an intense beam of light on me, and I could sense flashing lights below. I didn't quite know what was going on, but I wanted to get off the ladder as soon as possible, so I continued climbing in the rain. A bullhorn crackled, and a woman's voice said, Police! Come down here! The bright light followed me as I slowly made my way to the ground. Put your hands where I can see them, and walk toward the vehicle. Walk! I shot my arms in the air and walked to the police car with the red lights flashing. Hi, I'm not a robber, I said. I work here. At 3.12 a.m.? Yeah, it's an emergency. The officer shoved me to the front of the cruiser where I was lit by the headlights. Put your hands on the hood. She took my wallet from my back pocket and then felt all around the waistband of my pants, which was strangely arousing. Pretty strange to come to work on a rainy night without rain gear, isn't it? I'm only here to prevent a disaster, and then I'm going back to bed. Okay, she said. Turn around. Now, what's going on? When I turned around, I faced a young lady who looked much too slight and vulnerable for her job, and I briefly worried about her. Then I refocused, and I explained the situation. Up there is the frame of a third floor with no roof covering it yet. There's only a tarp draped over the top over the ceiling joists, and the rain is collecting in the gaps between those joists. If I don't push the water out of the gaps from below, the tarp will tear and the water will find its way into the house. The officer shone her floodlight on the sagging tarp. 
Jeepers, she said. You better get up there. I climbed back up the ladder, this time with the officer's great beam of light following me. What a sweetheart. On my way up the ladder, I tried to remember her face. And when I got to the roof, I waved at the light and I called, Thank you, in a stage whisper. And then I turned my headlamp on, I got my broom, and I began to push water over the side of the house. And on the ground, the officer stood in the rain, now in her rain gear, and she followed me with her beam for about ten minutes till I'd pushed all the water away and climbed back down the ladder. Thanks for your help, I said. That was really kind of you. No problem, she said. Stay safe. Toodaloo. Toodaloo. She got into her cruiser and drove into the night, alone. Then I worried for her all over again. I told the whole story to Stan when he returned on Tuesday. I mentioned the frisking, and he demanded details. Was it just the physical frisking, or was it being frisked by a girl in a uniform and wearing a gun that turned you on? What? No, I didn't say I was turned on. Well, not in so many words. But I'll bet you own a pair of handcuffs. At 10.30, we climbed down for some water with lime wedges. In the kitchen were four women, also having water and lime after their tennis doubles. They greeted us cordially, asked how things were going, and within 30 seconds they were making remarks about men in tool belts. These professional women egged each other on to moan and sigh while they joked about sweaty workmen and rough hands. It was all in good fun, but it made us uncomfortable, so we sliced our limes and got out of the kitchen quickly. It's okay for women to make sexual comments about men, but the reverse is more likely to have consequences. Renovators in particular must be aware of this, spending so much time as they do with the lady of the house. It's their revenge for all the whistles and catcalls they put up with from construction workers, Ian said from the safety of our rooftop. We are construction workers, I said. As soon as we finished sheathing the frame in plywood, Stan immediately called for the roofers. And the next afternoon, up the ladder carrying heavy rolls of roofing membrane, came three nice roofers. They were a far cry from the Neanderthals on the studio job so many years earlier. We helped out where we could, stayed out of the way when we should, and five hours later, they were done. And Stan bought everybody beer. Finally high and dry, we started on the inside. We cut the opening for the stairs to the third floor, and we put in temporary stairs on the second floor for the plumbers, electricians, and HVAC guys to access the site with all their gear. As the family was still living in the house, we continued to use our ladder on the outside wall just to keep the disruption to a minimum. I suddenly realized that I was up and down those worn rails all day long with never a fear of falling to my death, and the ladder wasn't talking to me anymore. The curse of the addition of death had lifted. On the afternoon that I finished the mantle over the master bedroom fireplace, I went over to look at the custom shower that Stan had built and was now tiling. It was gorgeous in its detail. I said, How is it that you can be an actor in the most mindless teenage slasher movie and people call you an artist, but when you design and build something like this shower, this work of art, you're just an old worker guy? Makes no sense, said Stan. He wasn't listening. He was focused on cutting expensive Italian tile. But Paul heard me. I'd forgotten that he was in the stairwell putting in the ductless air conditioning. Tiny, perfect Paul, who always wore the tradesman's stay-pressed blue pants and the matching shirt with a badge that read, Paul, 
His hair shone with some product that made it immovable, but still collected dust. Wait, what? Are you saying that you're actors? Seriously, why on earth would you want to do that? The long silence told me that Stan was not going to run with the question, so I did. Because, I said, Stan is a child of alcoholic parents, and I was abandoned at birth, so we need more approval than most people do. So when we perform in plays and people clap for us, we feel validated. It was sort of cruel of me to send up Paul this way. He turned around twice in his tracks, smacking a plastic water bottle against his thigh, clearly disturbed by this revelation. Are you guys actually saying you're actors posing as contractors? Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. This is what we do now. We're licensed. Oh, well, okay then. I mean, you seem like normal guys. Forty-five minutes later, Paul finished and came up from the stairwell. Stan signed his work order, and we made our goodbyes. Paul lingered at the top of the stairs before he posed probably the weirdest question ever put to me. This acting thing, does it have something to do with getting laid? The last of the custom stuff arrived. Chandeliers, closet doors, and keyless locks. By the end of the day, it would all be finished. We walked through the bedroom with the fireplace, past the bathroom with the walk-in shower, and out to the cedar deck, where we unscrewed our slide and our access ladder and pushed them off the house to the ground below. I'll be sorry to leave this one, I said. It's a beautiful job. It was a good time. We should start a company together, Stan said, and just do additions. This was a surprise. God, Stan, I'm touched that you would want to partner with me. Oh, don't cry. You'd have to be the front man. I need a large break from dealing with clients. And then he began imitating a whining homeowner. Stan, can you shave down the price a bit? I've given you a lot of work over the years. Yeah, I get that too, I said. Oh, yeah? You get this? Hey, pal, why don't you bring the family up to our cottage this weekend? Weather's going to be great. I got a new barbecue. Oh, and I got a new water pump for the place. So if you bring your plumbing tools, you can hook that sucker up, and then I'll get some steaks going. Oh, that's cruel, I said. I'm afraid of getting invitations now. I keep waiting for the catch. Stan went off to put counters in a bike shop, and I took Seamus to help me gut a house. And then I got an email from Jean and Lydia with attached drawings for a ground floor addition. They wanted to remodel their existing house with a new bathroom, new kitchen, and laminate flooring throughout. Then they wanted a 14 by 20 foot family room on the back. This was perfect. Stan and I could get going on his idea of our addition company. I forwarded the email to Stan with the note, This looks promising. No reply for three days. On Saturday morning, he called me. Uh, there's no point in us doing this edition together. There's not enough money in it for both of us. What? Of course there is. There's four weeks of interior renovation before we even get to the edition. What are you telling me? I, I thought that this is what you wanted to do. He was rambling and obtuse, seizing on the catchphrase, It's all about the money. So with no logical explanation forthcoming, I gave up. Okay! I'll do it without you. That was the last I saw a stand for two years. Again.